Good morning. Um, thank you for the privilege to be here. I'm thankful to God for the privilege to be here. And just as Pastor said, I'm um, the company of my wife, and she'll be giving some support along the line, speaking to the, to the single ladies amongst us. Um, usually, I have been in um, previous conferences like this, but I don't call it conference, maybe um, or single programs. And it's always, it's always met with excitement and some kind of, um, I mean, usually when it comes to Bible conferences, you see fewer people. I don't know if there are some of us that can relate to that. When it comes to um, how to serve God kind of conferences, you have few people also. But when it comes to singles or dating or how to know your spouse or something, everywhere is usually full and there's always some um, excitement that comes with it. And we also see it outside um, the context of conferences where we see that people are always excited when anything about relationships, premarital relationships come. Everyone is always talking and always, I mean, when you see social media, God, when you see pictures, I mean, today is Saturday, there are um, weddings everywhere. And it's all about, ah, God will do my own soon. Thankfully, um, Brother Eliezer has helped us to um, cherish our singleness up until the time God blesses us with the gift of marriage, knowing fully well that each um, realities are all geared towards one thing, to glorify God, either in our singleness or in marriage. You see that there is a, a stark contrast, though, between the current, between the excitement that comes with um, relationships, with marriage, and the reality in our society today. It makes, when we think about marriage, when we talk about marriage, and when we experience it or when we learn about it from those who are in the marriage institution, what is popular is disheartening. What is popular is something we can refer to as an unfortunate reality. Seen in the marital um, space. Before I go on, I would want to begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We appreciate you for the privilege to come before you to learn. We ask, Lord, that you would help us pay attention, help us um, learn from your word, and get to the point of understanding and resolution to apply the truth of your word in our respective lives. Thank you because you have heard us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was um, saying earlier, the reality we see today, I mean, there are lots of examples. When we talk about um, this lady um, in Dunamis, what's that her name? Yes. And you're like, Someone who served the Lord, a gospel singer, artist, and everyone was rooting for her in our ministry and all that. And we hear of the circumstances that surrounded her death, and we are like, are you sure I want to get married? I mean, we look at statistics. Nigeria, we are not so good with um, having some statistics that pertains to um, 
important, particularly in Christendom. We can easily, when we want to make statistics, we always go to the West and we try to see how we can, in what ways it can apply to us. But there's a statistic that's, that points to the reality that I'm trying to talk about. According to a recent data from the American Psychological Association, as many as 50% of marriages in the United States eventually end in divorce. This is the United States, a world power. They say the free state. In some, when I see people tweet on social media, they say things like, sinner climbs. You know, like maybe Nigeria, we are not in a sinner climb. We, we are backward. But okay, in a forward-thinking country like that, about 50% of marriages in the United States eventually end in divorce. Countless books, seminars, conferences, programs have been um, organized trying to tackle the difficulty of premarital relationships and marriages. But still, generally speaking, we have foolishness in decisions when it comes to going into premarital relationships, going through premarital relationships, and after premarital relationships, if the relationship ends with breakfast and whatever, and also decisions regarding getting into another premarital relationship. It's almost like all the efforts being made, we are not seeing the results. Is it that we are not listening, or we are hearing, and we just go along with whatever we feel or think, or is there a fundamental um, worldview or framework through which we see the reality of premarital relationships. In a 2010 Daily Mail article, take note of the dates so, so that you can see if it's like that, if it was like that in 2010, you think about how it is today. It was stated that nearly one child in three is living without their father or mother. The article goes on to state thus, in a bleak picture of disintegrating family life, researchers found that there are 3.8 million such children, the great majority of them, in single-parent families. More than half rarely see their missing parents. They have up to 30% of the country's children, and their numbers are up by nearly a fifth over the past decade, according to a study by the Office for National Statistics published yesterday. As, as at the date that it was put out. The figures were released alongside other statistics showing that the population is continuing to grow at record rates. That single people and cohabiting couples, not married people, cohabiting, will significantly outnumber married people in 20 years. How many years from 2010? From now? 12 years. So maybe in eight years, probably the projection would have even um, been reached. And that old, older mothers are increasingly likely to have babies outside marriage. Just before you think that we are talking about something alien to us, let's come to Nigeria. In February 2020, it was said that over 4,000 divorce cases were filed before various courts in Abuja alone in less than two months. Brethren, before a divorce, there was a marriage. Before that marriage, these were two lovebirds that were all, all over each other and oh, excited and they said all the nice things. It didn't just, it, it is not strangers. 
They were not strangers initially when they got married or before they got married. But 4,000 in just Abuja alone. Without looking so seriously into the internet, you don't need to search the internet so much. And you see lots of sad stories about premarital relationships and marital relationships. In fact, there are groups on Facebook. You see some spaces, some tweets, some threads on Twitter and all that, speaking about lots of stories of people. Keep me anonymous, right? That, ah, I don't want anybody that this is the situation I'm in right now. And I'm not talking about stories just outside the church. I'm talking about stories within the church. We just talked about Osinachi. Was it outside the context of the visible church? Absolutely not. Stories that scare you and make you dread marriage. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, probably you have also been part of the statistics. Or you know someone or people who have been in relationships or are currently in relationships that breakfast will soon be served. You know. So what could be the problem? And that's what we try to, uh, that's what the topic is about today. Premarital relationships and biblical covenants. What is the problem? I would argue that amongst um, the many problems is the fact that people have not come to understand the implications and essence of premarital relationships. And to be more specific, Christians have not come to understand the covenant nature of premarital relationships. As believers, our understanding of the covenant nature of premarital relationships should be informed by the author of relationships and how he sets the standard and exemplifies what we can refer to as biblical covenants. So what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement with an oath, a sworn promise between one, two, or more people. I said one because you can have a covenant with your heart to, yeah, you said you will not do this. You make sure, I mean, we have Job speaking about making a covenant with his heart or with eyes that you will not look lustfully at a woman. And between two people, sometimes it can be between a subordinate and a superior, where the superior is the one who initiates the terms of the covenant, like in the case of God and Adam, God and Abraham, God and Isaac, Jacob, Israel, God and the church. And it could also be between two people of equal status where the terms of the covenant are mutually established. Also in a covenant, it is the personal names of the people that are involved. My wife calls me different names. But when it comes to things that have to do with signature, she won't write baby or my dear when it has to do with maybe we have to sign some documents. It will be my name, right? If um, pastor has to do anything official, he won't use the names, the endearing name that um, his wife might be calling him. He will use his name, the personal name, his personal name. And so we see that covenant to show how serious it is. Even when God was establishing a covenant with various people and how he is, he didn't come with the various names that, oh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He came with the, his personal name, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. And he established the covenant. And we also see another um, feature of covenant that 
There are consequences attached to the breaking of covenant. Every covenant requires attendant actions to fulfill the covenant, to act according to the requirements of the covenant. So even if the word covenant is not used in some cases, there's such a thing as covenant language. And that language embodies the features of all that I've mentioned. We know the Bible is God's word. I don't think there's anyone, and I am hopeful that everyone here understands and have come to understand and believe that the Bible is God's word. It's also a covenant book. It's a covenantal book. There are numerous examples of covenantal realities in scripture. So many that it is an anomaly for Christians to be averse or alien to covenant and its functions. So God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, set the standard from the beginning, from the book of Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. I would be opening scriptures and I want us to look at it together. I will be taking some time to read through so that we can see the things I'm trying to show us. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to walk it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. If we have been listening carefully, we will see that the features of covenant are established here without it being mentioned that this is a covenant. God was the one who initiated this. And it sets the terms, and usually there in the covenant, there are terms that you follow. He fulfilled his own part, he gave them everything, gave Adam everything that he needed, and there was also that aspect of do not do this, or if this happens, all you just need is to obey me. And we all know how that ended, don't we? We know how it ended and the realities, the great consequences of such disobedience from history and in our very lives. When we look at verse 22, verse 22 of the same text, we'll see something quite significant. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a, a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is the bone of my bones, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We'll see something quite significant here. When God brought Eve to Adam, it was Adam who initiated the relationship and used covenantal language there. And we also see exclusivity here. We see the principle here. It said, this is the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And we see verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I, I don't want to take it for granted that we understand the obvious. It is Adam, a man, Eve, a woman. It has become increasingly important to emphasize this for things that we expect to not be, to, for everyone to understand and accept. But I just said that in passing. And some people, and I have this question to ask. 
How long did they date? Adam saw Eve. This is the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God brought Adam to Eve and all that. How long did they date for him to make that decision to go into a covenant? I'm getting somewhere. So don't preempt. Now, this is in no way encouraging mindless entering into premarital relationships. This is pointing to that which is at the forefront when considering going into premarital relationship and when you finally get into one. Covenant. That's the implication. That it is, that's what it means. Perhaps it is the understanding of this that makes people try to find a middle ground between premarital relationships and marriage. Or where you can use covenantal language, you can make promises, you can make commitments, and there is absence of definite plan, there's absence of definite direction, there's absence of definite promise and concerted efforts towards marriage. Maybe it's actually because we truly understand the implication. That's why people try to look for sub-standards um, or some kind of um, new premarital relationship. In fact, if we are talking about premarital, people even feel uncomfortable when you have to call it premarital because it's almost like it's pointing to a direction. It's almost or any relationship before marriage, right? Premarital. But in a sense, it is already pointing to the fact that the goal naturally should be towards marriage. But we know today that that is not the case. And we see the results. There are fundamental characters of covenant keeping that we can deduce from scripture. And they are love, commitment, and faithfulness. And we'll take some time to expound on them. Love. We'll begin with love. Let's open to one of the texts my brother um, made reference to Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, and 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 4. Genesis 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I am looking at this place and I'm saying that the Lord, I, there is no basis for this establishment of covenant with Abraham. He just came. He was preoccupied with his decision. He was preoccupied with the terms of the covenant. And it was all about that which was for the good of Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation. From where? From nowhere. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, and you, all, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What more could be the motivation for this? If it's not love. When we look at the relationship between David and Jonathan, I don't want us to have to read it. I said that, and Jonathan loved David as his soul, as his own soul. He loved him as much as his own soul. And he made a covenant. So love preceded it. 
and love was expressed, or the covenant was, was expressed through love. But we have different definitions of, of what love is today. And maybe perhaps I, I, have the, I, I argue that love is actually enough if we actually understand love as we should be hot. It's enough. But we say, ah, it's more than love. Many times when people say, you need more than love, there is something that comes to mind. There is a definition, an idea of love that comes to mind. But one thing we need to note is that love is not the following things. It is not sexual attraction to the opposite sex. The kind of covenant-keeping love that we are speaking about here is not a love that has to do with having strong feelings for someone. Or that's, that love, you say that's bonding with someone. So, you know, we create, we start bonding. I mean, we just spoke in five minutes and we were just bonding. It's as if I've met you all my life. I mean, it's, there's something about you that I, I, I don't know. It's just different when it comes with you. No, no, that's not covenant-keeping love. It is also not having butterflies in your stomach. I don't even know what, how, how does that feel like? Having butterflies flying in your stomach. And that word, oh, it must be that I love. I love this person. And love is not having the feeling of, as, as I've already said, it seems I've known you all my life. Usually people act on that and love. But we see that it is fundamentally different. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, and we see the, 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 the definition is like if the fullness of love defined. It says that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love is not boastful, love is not conceited, love does not act improperly, love is not selfish, love is not provoked, love does not keep a record of wrongs, love finds no joy in evil, love rejoices in the truth, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, it never ends. In qualifying the all things, John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary says, with regard to all things within God's righteous and gracious will, love protects, believes, hopes, and endures what others reject. If anything, we can, if anything, we can, this buttresses the fact that for us to understand love as we ought, we must look at God, learn from his word and his works, and fashion our lives after his example. Because I mean, when you look at that, I, I don't know if we take some time to look at it, and we see it seems so, it's like mumu love. Have you seen it? Like, let, let me read it. It says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. It's, we can only get our understanding about how this can be expressed from God. We can never be the standard. If you, all of us fall short of this. But that's the standard. And that is the kind of love that should be resident in every Christian. So when you say, I love this person, the base, the foundation, the fundamental thing that must be in your mind, you must have this. So some people ask the question that, and how can I marry or go into a relationship with someone that I don't love? I also believe that it's all those other definitions I gave you are speaking about. But naturally, to your neighbor, to your husband, to your father, to your mother, you ought to love. 
You cannot talk about the branches when the base or the roots is not sure. And I think it is this kind of love that would make someone like um, Corey Asbury refer to God's love as reckless. But thankfully, because we have an understanding of the fact that God, God is not just love, love, love. He's also love, just, perfect, wise, all-powerful. It is in the context of all of his attributes that we understand that God's love is not reckless. But aside that, we can probably agree with him and say, yes, the reckless, the reckless love of God. I mean, this love's expression is not premised on the performance of the object, of, of the one who is the object of love. Among humans, reciprocation makes it fine, it makes it sweet and all. But at the root of this love's expression is selfless desire and pursuit of the good of the object of love. That is the motivation. That is the spirit of love that we are speaking about here. This is why the standard given to husbands to love your wife as Christ loves the church is like the highest standard that you can think of. Christ, what does the Bible say about Christ's responsibility to the church? It said he, is, he removes every stain, every wrinkle, every spot, is all about what? He does it with the word that he might present her to himself spotless. He is not preoccupied with the performance per se of the church for him to do that which he is committed to doing. You think that is a little thing? And he says, okay, the marriage is supposed to picture this. And the thing that precedes marriage, premarital relationship, that is, premarital onto this institution. It's so sad that uh, we seem in, in our 21st century, we seem to have a better understanding of love and we are having bad consequences compared to our ancestors. I mean, there was even arranged, love, um, arranged marriages. There's been that, I mean, Sometimes we look at it, maybe because of the culture, where you say, if this person, it is what you, you say, what the father or mother says, that the person marries, and the person marries, and sometimes it goes south, and sometimes it's like, wow, how, do you, how were they able to live together? You, you live with someone that you did not love, but the love is, you did not have strong feelings for, you did not, you understand? It's like, how did it work? But we that we have advanced and advanced understanding of love today, what are we, how are we dealing, how are we dealing with relationships? How much did Adam know about Eve? The immediate context that we see in the garden was that God brought Adam, um, Eve to Adam, and she was the only one in a perfect state, by the way, on earth. So the context, this context made it quite straightforward, right? How do you address the issue of Isaac and Rebekah? What was the context? I would have wanted to read it, but you see that it was Abraham that made that, gave that instruction to his servant to go to their own king's men. And that is quite instructive for us today to get a wife for Isaac. And when, I, and when she was brought, we see that she, he 
took I in and loved her. I want to read the two verses there. Genesis 24, 66 to 67. It says, And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. How long did Rebekah know Isaac, and how long did Isaac know Rebekah? But it was not just a mindless decision. He said the servant came to Isaac and told him all that he had done. So that means he must have spoken about what his father had said and all the efforts made and all the signs, because signs were, were predominant here. Okay, this and this, if she does this, this will happen. And this is someone who understood the place of Abraham in his life and, of course, in the whole grand scheme of God's plan. And he made a decision that, wow, after all this, I think it is only right within the context to marry her and he loved her. That sounded like a responsibility and he loved, you know, like and he feel like and he loved her. A husband, that's why I, 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 I find it difficult for Christians professing, uh, that, that I find it difficult to understand why professing Christians have no issues with bypassing counsel, biblical counsel have no issues, especially when we are in a worse situation today. We have the worse situation of sin, wickedness has increased at, at a le different levels. The, 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 the way the, the society has been um, structured is also quite different to those times. We cannot emphasize, I cannot emphasize the importance of biblical counsel, prayer, getting a husband and wife within the context of the church, just like Abraham instructed, not from our enemies or from our neighbors or from those outside our own people. And considering carefully, prayerfully, the context peculiar to you before going into a marital, premarital relationship. That's love. Another um, covenant-keeping character that we see here is commitment. I think Brian Yada was trying to explain something about singleness, where he said singleness is when you are not in a committed marital relationship. So we see a keyword, committed. In all relevant um, definitions of commitment, we, there are some words that suggest or that point to that meaning of commitment. Resolution, dedication, focus, binding, having a bond. We see it expressed in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. God was committed. He said, I will bless you. I will do this. I will do that. Anyone who curses you will be cursed and all that. This is the truth of the matter, friends, brethren. If the aforementioned words, all that I've mentioned, resolution, focus, if they do not constitute the mutual drive of two individuals intended to go into a love relationship, it is only a matter of time. It's only a matter of when and not if. The relationship will suffer a shipwreck. Loving each other is both of you being committed to each other in principle and in practice. 
You must continually make decisions that are in step with your commitment to being together. You have gotten into this context leading up to marriage, and so you are committed to it. To be single is, in various ways, fundamentally different from being in a premarital relationship. Yes, I agree that you are either single or married. But that, um, that premarital or that relationship heading towards something, that means it is towards something. There is something, it means something. It means that, because some people twist what Eliezer was speaking about single, like, okay, since I'm in a relationship with a person, since I'm not married a person, I'm not committed to that person. And so I'm single, since I'm not married, since the ring has not been put to the finger, then I'm good. I'm still available, right? right? And all that. And we've seen how it has caused so much damage. I would have almost said irreparable damage to our youth today, to people today. And we see that people have no problems, I mean, with not showing commitment in whatever they call relationships. Look, I have been insinuating something from the beginning, but I'm saying it now more direct and more clearly. You have no business being in a premarital relationship if marriage is not in view. What am I saying? That is, if you have said you are getting into a relationship, it's almost as um, real as saying, when is the date for your marriage? It's almost. Of course, different circumstances can that in between and all that. But it is almost as saying, ah, oh, we are not in a relationship. Okay, so when is the wedding date? That is how real it is. And so it should inform our minds that before even getting to a relationship, we are at home with the idea of commitment. You are not going into a relationship to see how it goes. God was not establishing that covenant to see how it goes. David and Jonathan did not get into a covenant to see how it goes. They were driven by their, the commitment to each other. And when Jonathan died, what did David do with the children? Is there anyone for the sake of Jonathan? For the sake of Jonathan. Commitment even after death. I don't care about what popular culture says. What has what we see in the movies and all that. You hear of people going to a relationship for the fun of it, to see how it goes, to test the waters, to enjoy companionship. I am not married. And so many unbiblical motivations for courtship. Yeah, we call it dating now, but usually when you just go down memory lane, it all started. Courtship was usually a community thing, whereby you say you are getting into this thing. You, for you to get out of it, you are not just dealing with that individual. You are dealing with the parents, the family, because it's a big deal. But now, dating has made it a little detached. In fact, that was not even the way the beginning of dating was. They still had one or two representatives. When you go out on a date, you still have one mother or auntie that will still be around to be able to weigh and see what's up. But right now, you can even already give your life to a brother or a sister. Then you now think about the context of parents. Yes, we know that it now went so 
to an extreme whereby they now began, parents began to detect to their children what and who to marry based on unbiblical counsel. And even with biblical counsel, it is still, the honor still lies on the people involved to take the counsel or not. I think it has become so normal and it's like a cycle, even amongst Christians today, to have multiple relationships over a course of time. You see that almost before you get to um, 20 years now, I'm projecting mildly. You see a young lady or a young guy would have experienced about four relationships to be moderate. And of course, when you want to get into a relationship and you want to finally settle down, you say, well, there was just, it was my past, and um, I mean, I want to finally settle down, and you want to dump all the experiences and baggage. This is, mind you, we don't understand that consequences that we speak about, about breaking a covenant, it might not be that you died or something or the kind of thing that Adam happened, but you're carrying baggage. You made promises to people. You made someone look like they're the only ones in this world. And you did that with one person, two persons, three persons, fourth person, and finally you want to settle, then you carry all that baggage. You think it is easy to move on from just one person? How much more? Four, five, six. By the time you are 25, seven, eight, and you are like body counts. I don't even see. I, it was recently I began to see the old. Um, references to body count, say how many body counts? You say 50. 50. That is 50 people that you have had sexual relations with. Sometimes you don't even date. People date now just sexually. It's already taken for granted that, oh, we are dating. That means we are also in sexual relationship. It's normal. I mean, it's so funny that it is not something that is, that is alien to the church. People have come to, it's like we are growing numb. We think as Christians you cannot grow numb to some things, that whereby some things you should frown at or see as evil. We have come to accept it as numb. I mean, you know, we are so helpless. I actually entered that relationship. With, I actually worked, was working towards marriage, but you know, things, it was not just meant to be for the first person, for the second person, for the third person, for the fourth person, for the fifth person, probably to the tenth person. It was not meant to be. Are, are we fine? And the digital media has made it worse. Of course, when you say you want to move on, you see have the person, you see the person on social media, and memories come up again, and it affects your current relationship, and all that mess, and the cycle continues. And if you get into marriage that way, you think you want to automatically become a committed and faithful person. How? The third, faithfulness. Faithfulness. We see it in Jeremiah 32:30, where God was saying, despite the fact that he released or he pushed his people for this because of how they went um, wayward, which was a recurring experience or reality between God and Israel, where Israel heard, heard over um, after different nations, and he still did, he still reestablished his covenant with them. That he knows that they're everywhere, but he will bring them back together. Now that's faithfulness. 
to covenant. You see Second Samuel 9 verse 1, where David, he was faithful to the covenant established between him and Jonathan. And his children, his children, his child, Mephibosheth, benefited from that covenant. So when we talk about um, faithfulness, we're simply saying we are in this till the end. I am committed to this. There's hardly any premarital relationship that has this mutual reality that doesn't have a quote-unquote happily ever after. When I say happily ever after, I'm saying it in context. I'm saying that works, that stands the test of time. Usually it is where one or two become unfaithful that issues occur. I know many of us have had goals in life. We have had different things like about, okay, you have an ambition, you want to achieve this goal, you want to do this. Even before you achieve it, you're already putting yourself, setting yourself up towards that achievement, right? You, are, you are have an exam, you want to be a doctor, you want to be an engineer, and so you're already acting in a manner that is streamlined towards achieving that goal. When it comes to premarital, it might seem like a stretch. But if you listen carefully, it also applies to premarital relationships so much that you are faithful to your future spouse before you even meet them. That your life is fashioned, faithfulness, you are faithful to God, you are faithful to that which he has given unto you, and you are faithful keeping your body for that future spouse. Faithfulness. Because how do you think you want to conjure up the attitude of faithfulness when it, has not what, it was not what defined you as a single person? Then you get into marriage. I think we are about two or three that are married here. So does faithfulness just come automatically? It just happens. I would even argue, I'm, I mean, I have no much experience yet, but it doesn't change anything. If you are not used to faithfulness as a single person, it makes little to no difference in marriage. And you only cause problems for yourself. This is my point. A person should also be faithful to their significant other long, long before they meet them or be with them. How does this help? It prevents mindless getting to relationships for the sake of it. So many times when you are getting to a relationship and because marriage is the goal, it's like it is your last bus stop. You are not saying let's just see how compatible we will be. Let's see. How this is that? Yes, compatibility is necessary now because of the reality of sin, right? We have to know, okay, if this is, I mean, you have to even know if the person is a Christian. If the person is truly a Christian in act, in, 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 in speech, and in deed. And I leave us with this before I um, invite my wife to speak to the ladies for about five minutes. To desire blissful premarital relationships and to not be at home with the concept of faithfulness is like being thirsty for water and not comfortable with the idea of drinking. 
Mrs. Odofe. Good afternoon, church. Uh, sorry, still morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so um, I'll be um, just talking about how these three things, love, commitment, and faithfulness, um, how we can narrow it down to the ladies, especially. And um, I mean, we've, from the what my husband has said, we've talked about how this commitment, how these things basically start from um, how, how they relate to our relationship with God and God's people. If we don't love God or we don't love God's people, we would find it hard to um, commit a bit to love someone else or to, okay, to be in a, oh, okay, to be in a love, okay, let me stand there. Okay, and if you're not committed to God and committed to God's people, the same thing. Faithfulness also to God and to his people. I'll start by saying, um, how should this affect who we go into a relationship with as ladies? So, the first thing is, um, he mentioned the issue of Isaac and Rebecca. And he talked about how um, Abraham was specific about where servants was to get Isaac's wife from. And it was supposed to be from their king. And so... In, um, in relating that to us, that means that whoever we are going to relationship, going to relationship with must be a Christian. He must be of the household of faith as a lady. You're not just considering any random guy that is fine and has money somewhere and he just comes and says, okay, I want to take you away. And you're like, okay, no wahala. You're considering somebody from the household of faith that you both understand God's word. That you're sure that this person understands God's word, is committed to God's word and committed to God's people. And then someone who you can follow his lead and you can trust him to, um, you can trust him basically with your home in the future. And I'll say this, yes, this person is following God and God loves God's people. And you see how he leads. You can see how he takes responsibility within the church community, how he takes the things of God seriously. And then you can, you, you are sure that you can entrust your future home basically in this person's hand. You'll be willing to follow this person's lead in the long run. The person obviously cannot be perfect. There's nobody perfect in the household of faith. We know that. We are all trying and we are all working towards um, perfection. And this person must submit, obviously, uh, must submit to the authority of scripture. And that's not something that we can argue with. Sometimes people, especially nowadays, people are professing Christians. They, you say, oh, I met this person. You hear a lady say, I met this person in church. Oh, he was very committed. He was supposed to be ordained a pastor in the church. But aside from this, you, you met him in church. Did he show any commitment to scripture, to understanding of God's word, to God's people? Did he, was he the kind of person that, ah, no, don't pastor this one, or leave out of it, or don't, ah, I don't want to, in the private place and then in public, it's like, ah, this brother is very serious. You understand? Those are the things that you probably have to look out for. And then how should this affect um, our understanding and conduct in and outside of premarital relationship? Um, I would say understanding love, commitment, and faithfulness as Christians is important. It's, uh, we are, as, as Christians, we are covenantal people. And this would affect every other area of our lives, our work, with our colleagues, our siblings, our family. We should, we should already be, we should be at home with the idea, basically, of love, commitment, and faithfulness in our daily activities and how we treat those around us. And then, 
what okay, so then we'll move to <laughs> what does it mean to love in the context of premarital relationship now strictly for the ladies basically love has already been defined for us we have talked about love so as in regards a single lady entering into a relationship the reality of the selfless desire and pursuit of the good of the potential significant other must be present now we already he, um mr Adolfin already mentioned before that it is important that love is not you're not seeing love from the mushy mushy butterflies now tummy kind of situation love is not just tied to those things i <laughs> Okay, so um, I think if you ask people that are either about to get married or have been married, you hear that somebody has asked them one time or the other, how did you feel butterflies in your tummy? I know that I got that question a lot. It doesn't make you feel butterflies in your tummy. That's the reason, but um, I've come to understand that that's not the reason why you should enter into a committed relationship with somebody because you're feeling butterflies in your tummy. Butterflies will fade. And then the reality, you, then you're faced with reality and you have to deal with it. So be sure that this, the love that you're, um, you're feeling it's not just sexual love, and that this will mean that you're concerned for this person's well-being, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. All around, you're concerned about this person's growth, and that you see yourself wanting to meet this person's life in every way, through their good and their bad, because there will be good and there will be bad times. You could start with the good times. The good times can last for 10 years, and then they fade, and then the bad times come. Are you ready to be in that person's life even when the bad times come? What does it mean to be committed? Sorry. This means that on the basis of your informed decision to accept the proposal, you're in for the long haul. You're ready to make this work no matter what. Sometimes there might be unforeseen circumstances that I don't know. <laughs> Let me say, I'll say, I'll use one unforeseen circumstances, but it will take a long um, wait for you to get to that point where you have in, uh, irre irreconcilable differences that you want to end this no matter what. But as a lady, you should be committed to who you have said yes to that you want to enter into a, a marital relationship with. There's nothing like whole face. I mean, I, I, I only found out recently, like two years ago, that there's something called a whole face for a lady, where you're supposed to just sleep around, meet different people, and to just explore your 20s. And whenever you're like almost 30, you cannot begin to consider whoever is coming. Maybe after the old people that I've heard with, you cannot find one person that you think, okay, I should be able to marry this person. There's nothing like that where you're entering a committed relationship. You're entering this and you're walking towards marriage. There's nothing like growing out of love. Oh, I stared at the beginning, I was really in love with this person, but now I'm growing out of love, or I fell out of love with this person. You cannot fall out of love. You start, you remain there. There's no falling out of love. So even when the relationship has to end, as Mr. Defin was saying, that breakup is a major, it's, 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 it's real, it's a big deal. And it's not something that you just easily wake up from tomorrow morning and walk out like this. <laughs> Oh, I just grew out of love and I just I thought she just go our separate ways. You're committed to it and so you must finish it. Okay, so um we come down to faithfulness. This is tied, this is also it's also linked to faithfulness and commitment are quite they're, they're similar. And they are um you have to remain faithful to the commitment that you have made. If I make a commitment with somebody, it is a Christian thing to be faithful till the end of that commitment. I have said I will do this for you. It is a Christian thing to keep to that um, commitment I have made. Once I give my word, I have made a commitment. And it is Christian to be faithful to it. It, is, it shows how much you are growing and how much you are learning of God. And 
it starts with your commitment with God, basically. And we, he talked about purity. And I would re-emphasize it again. I mean, as I mentioned about the office, the same thing recently, I found out that Christians actually believe that premarital sex is not a problem. And so you have to, you're coming to a conversation like, ah, ah, you're not stupid, ah, but you love the person now. God is not going to judge you because you love the person. I'm like, eh, I don't know when did this become a thing because it's not actually very popular. It should be awkward before when you say you're having sex with somebody, you, try, you probably try to hide it. But now, among Christians, it's like, oh, I'm in a relationship with this person, but we're, oh, we're living together and everybody's fine. Everybody just looks at it and breathes and moves past like nothing's happening. And it's a big deal. And I think we should go back to um, remembering and thinking about this as a big deal because it helps us to take some steps back when the person that we either um, we are, we, are, we are committing to is beginning to say things that are not making sense. I was telling my husband of a story of a lady I was listening to recently that was supposed uh, engaged to a pastor, and she had done like seven or eight abortions for this person that is a pastor. So your relationship long enough to have seven, eight abortions, and this person it's the ni- I think the ninth child the, the person who has the abortion she was like she can't do it because they were already he had prayed her bride person like okay let's walk towards church wedding and he's like no if she will not abort this one he's done and so and she thought he was joking and like play like play the relationship ended and they were both on that she was, she was not the one with the child after eight abortions and she's the one bearing the the weight on her chest now going around telling her story and this person that she was in a relationship with is supposed to be a pastor and he'll still go ahead and be ordained in the church because the pastor tried to say that a senior pastor in court tried to talk to them and then it didn't work out and the pastor said she just go so this is somebody that in quotes would have said is a Christian and should know better or should know how to lead basically in the relationship. And we see how the both of them handled it and they are both Christians. So we should not let anybody basically deceive us that, okay, uh, it doesn't really matter. We can get away with this. Basically, you love the person. And so let's just go basically. So you have said yes to relationship with this man. It is honorable as a Christian lady to remain faithful to this commitment. You agree to this. Keep your end of the bargain unless it becomes clear that this person is not interested any longer. And godly, godly, sorry, godly, godly counsel has been sought. And such cases are usually rare or non-existent when both of you understand the implication and demand of the relationship as Christians. Of course, these things will be tested with time, life's challenges, and all of that. This is why you must be sure you are ready for a commitment leading up to marriage. Make sure you have and still have godly counsel all the way before you start before before you start the relationship in the middle of it and even towards your walking into marriage or if you're going to end in the, if it's going to end at some point, you should have godly counsel at every step of the way. It is very important. Also, the company that you keep. As ladies, some, as Christians sometimes, we might think that it's not important. And even as ladies, oh, uh, at least my friends know I'm in a relationship. So yeah. sometimes, especially when your friends are not committed Christians and or, or do not understand what it means to be a Christian, sometimes the words that they say, the things that they chip in, can begin to bring thoughts into your mind that you would not have thought about before, things that you would not have considered before. Especially when you have, you may be having little issues with your um, the person that you're in, um, you're in a relationship with, but because we don't have godly friends, or you don't, yeah, you keep your the company around you is not the right company. You begin to see yourself desiring things that you should not have desired, or beginning to um, look towards other directions that you shouldn't be looking towards because you're hearing the wrong things, basically. Your friendship with godly. From the from biblical examples of covenant, we see especially that of David and Jonathan. This was a life situation that extended to Jonathan's children, even after Jonathan's death. You don't just give up and leave because you're not feeling this person anymore. Or someone is showing you better attention. This is why you need to be sure before starting to actively nurture 
that which you have started. Let's also talk um, preparation, basically. Um, as ladies, we should also begin. Um, there's something that we need to be at, at home with. The idea of um, submission, for example, I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have currently in the church and even outside the church when it comes to ladies and marriage. And nobody wants to submit. Nobody, nobody even likes the idea of hearing. Nobody wants to even hear anything like submission. It will say uh, it's both ways, it's both ways. Once you mention submission, it's like it's both ways, it's both ways. And there's, there's, there's a, um, being, we're not saying you should be submissive to the person that you're in a parental relationship with altogether, but you should show that disposition of, I, I'm open to this when we get married. And it should also start with our lives, basically from home, our parents, our guardians, whoever we stay with, and then pastor and our godly leaders. How do we as ladies relate with these people in our lives? And how do we also submit even to godly people, the people that God has put around us, and other legitimate authorities in our lives? Living this reality before a suitor comes for your hand helps you struggle less when it's time to be married. And apart from just submission, any other thing that basically helps us prepare to be um, brothers and um, <laughs> better wives, basically, in the future. I remember during our um, sister's conference, we talked about how, um, not just in marriage, but even in singleness, there are things that we learn to do, not because you are waiting that ah, Even if, in the end, I don't get married, those things are still useful, even in serving God's people. So, everything that, anything that basically makes up a, a, a woman or a lady, that basically, the things that I would make you a whole woman, or a biblical woman, begin to be in, um, begin to practice those things basically. So it's easy for you. It comes, it's easy. It comes easy when you get married. And the final thing I would say is, um, last week's on the pastor mentioned something when he was talking about, um, commitment and, um, during the sermon, he says, we do not have the inherent capacity to stay true to our commitment, which means that we need God's help every step of the way. Before we make the commitment, after we make the commitment, and to stay true to the commitment, even after marriage. The only way we can love, be committed, and be faithful, and prepare well, and even have good premarital relationships and even marriages, is if we are dependent on God, and we put God every step of the way. We're not, we're not carrying him and dropping him in the middle halfway, because, ah, we have entered side trouble. We are starting with his word, we are continuing with his word, and we are ending with his word, till... Whenever the end is, we are continuing with God's word. Thank you. So, um, in conclusion, because our time is fast spent, we see that relationship, relationship began with God. God was self-sufficient. So that means all that he did in establishing a relationship with Adam was actually for the good of Adam. He was not gaining something per se because as we learn of, God, of God's attributes, he is self-sufficient. He said life is in him. So he did not need man to be God. So that act that was seen in Genesis was God condescending and trying to establish a relationship with Adam, which he broke. And in also fulfilling the commitment that he made to God the Son, where he said he promised to give to him an undeserving people. He gave his son away for the redemption of the people that he promised the son. 
thereby restoring the broken relationship that occurred in um, the Garden of Eden between him and all men who believe. And so if you are seated here today and you have repented of your sins and you have turned to Christ alone for salvation, you are a product and a participant of covenant. God says two things to us in playing our own part of the covenant. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The church is a covenant community of God. And so, loving, committing, and being faithful should not be alien to us. We are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. We are to hide the words of God in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our understanding so that he will make our paths straight. We are not to neglect the gathering of the saints that some are accustomed to, but we are to submit ourselves to the means of grace, as Brother Elias has said. We are to love what he loves and hate what he hates, and which is sin. And so we are to do all this. And when it even comes to the decisions, such as making a decision about premarital relationships, we are already equipped to get into such relationships. And just as he also said, Brother Eliaza, he, he took, he said so many things that I, <laughs> we see that all that we have said is not trying to stay, stand in the position of perfection. But we are trying to establish the fact that this is how we ought to live if we profess Christ. And that if we have not been that way so far, we can turn to Christ and recommit ourselves to him. And if you are here that you have not come to and experience the love of God, you should know that there is a greater problem than the problem of broken relationships, the problem of eternal condemnation. And if we don't come to repent of our sins and turn to Christ for our salvation, we are to be pitied. Loving God is at the center of having premarital relationships that glorify God. And whatever premarital relationship that you are in right now or that you intend to be, have it at the back of your mind that it's a covenant. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that with all that has been said, that you would implant in our hearts by your spirit this truth, that we might live by it, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.